This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. Take a step back in time and discover old Florida cuisine at Marsh Landing Restaurant in Felsmere. Enjoy delicacies such as frog legs, gator tail, catfish, and swamp cabbage, or enjoy the more traditional cuisine like hand-cut Angus steaks, ribs, and seafood. Join us for breakfast with a southern flair featuring sweet potato pancakes, biscuits and gravy, and much more. Planning a party? Marsh Landing's private dining room can accommodate groups from 8 to 80 people. While you're visiting, enjoy the historic pictures, artifacts, and stories that line the walls. Marsh Landing is truly a unique experience. Marsh Landing Restaurant, 44 North Broadway in historic Felsmere, or visit marshlandingrestaurant.com. Marsh Landing, old Florida cuisine at its best. Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiecki is largely an opinion talk show. All opinions, comments, or statements of fact expressed by Gwilda Wiecki's guests are strictly their own and are not to be construed as those of the Science of Magic or endorsed in any manner by Gwilda Wiecki, Relmar McConnell Media Company, its affiliated networks, stations, or employees. Welcome to the Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiecka, a program dedicated to uncovering the unified nature of reality and humanity's ever-evolving place as truly galactic beings. For more information on the Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiecka, visit us online at www.thescienceofmagic.net. Welcome to the Science of Magic, a place where science and magic come together to transform fact into evolving truth. We're proudly coming to you through the ever-expanding Exxon Broadcast Network, xzbn.net, and can also be found on our website, thescienceofmagic.net. I'm your host, Gwilda Wiecka. This hour, we'll be exploring out of the rut. Nothing's broken. You'll be fine, the emergency room physician assured me after looking at the x-rays. I didn't feel fine. Yes, I was in pain, but something else was very wrong. The nurse asked me who to call. I had no idea. She asked me my address. I didn't know that either. But the doctor said I was fine. What was I doing here anyway? For that matter, where was here? I'd been on my way to work. I was just entering a bridge with a narrow road when a pickup truck going the other direction swerved into my lane and drove me into a concrete pylon. Though I was wearing a seatbelt, the steering wheel hit me in the chest and my brain sloshed around in my skull like jello in a jar. That was effectively the end of my life as I knew it. At first, I seemed okay if a bit banged up, but after being discharged from the hospital and in the days to come, it became clear I had no short-term memory. I knew my husband and children, but not that I'd put something on the stove to cook ten minutes before. When smoke filled the kitchen, I wondered who the idiot was that left the pan on to burn. It took two years before I was functional, but I was not the same. I was better. Unencumbered by any memory of the day before, every day was a new adventure. I didn't hold a grudge as I couldn't remember being insulted. Where before I had set ways of thinking, the well-worn neurological pathways were no longer available. I'd effectively been knocked out of the rut. I started creating things, making jewelry. I wrote books, created musical albums, and founded a Colorado State-certified occupational school of the shamanic arts. 
inspiration came easily. Before the accident, I'd been a fairly skilled shamanic practitioner and teacher. But after, I had access to esoteric information all the time, rather than just when I entered the shamanic trance. I learned to rely on that skill to replace the short-term memory I no longer had. I became precognizant and more instinctual. Simply following my promptings, I found myself in the right place, at the right time, doing the right thing. I used the environment as a memory, leaving things out in plain sight that needed to be done. Out of sight, out of mind, definitely applied to me. I ran my life from a daytimer. The unexpected benefit? An uncluttered mind with no restrictions. I was always in the present moment, totally available for what was happening, rather than dwelling on past or down the road into the future. I'd been in a very codependent relationship with my husband, with no short-term memory, I could no longer enable him, and our marriage fell apart. I wasn't the woman he'd married, more's the blessing. Years later, some of the short-term memory has returned, but my brain is still not as it was. I've developed subroutines to keep track of what I'm doing. These routines have the added benefit of leaving my mind free to continue creating in unorthodox ways. As a result of this impairment, I've lived a very passionate, creative, and productive life I wouldn't have had otherwise. Hopefully, our next guest can offer more palatable methods of getting out of the mental rut than running into a bridge. Our guest this hour, Neil Slade, is an author of 10 books on brain and behavior, including Tickle Your Amygdala, The Frontal Lobe Supercharge, Brain Tuning, Secrets of the Dormant Brain Lab, The Book of Wands, and Brain Magic to Creativity from Another Dimension. He's also a lifelong musical composer, seasoned concert performer, and teacher. Slade studied and worked for 11 years at Colorado's Dormant Brain Research and Development Laboratory. His educational books are easy to understand and explorations of how the human brain works and how to access creativity and problem solving. Slade has 10 original music albums to his credit. After this commercial break, I'll introduce Neil and together we'll explore the mysteries of the human brain. Should be enlightening, so don't go away. You're listening to The Science of Magic. Prior innovative episodes can be found on our website, thescienceofmagic.net. Network broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN TV. For more information on the X Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. How would you like to be able to read other people's minds? Well, the next best thing is here. When you know how to read a person's name, you know how the person thinks, feels, and behaves. Each letter in our name holds a key to unlock our true essence. Our name contains both our gifts and challenges in this lifetime. Mnemology Science discovers personality secrets hidden in the placement of the letters of our names, including the first and last impression people remember about us. Sharon shows us how to interpret the arrangement of letters as outlined in her book, Know the Name, Know the Person. Sharon Lynn Wyeth created Mnemology Science after 18 years of research and testing her theories and has supported thousands of people around the world in understanding themselves and others better. You'll enjoy Sharon's unique teachings as she shares her system to learn the gifts behind your given birth name. Even if you don't like your birth name, there are jewels in this book. If you're thinking of changing your name, ready to name your child, or wanting to get along better with others, this is the book for you. 
If you'd like to improve your relationships and change your life for the better, get the book today. Know the name, know the person. Or visit www.knowthename.com. That's www.knowthename.com. Take a step back in time and discover old Florida cuisine at Marsh Landing Restaurant in Felsmere, Florida. Enjoy delicacies such as frog legs, gator tail, catfish, and swamp cabbage, or enjoy the more traditional cuisine such as hand-cut Angus steaks, ribs, and seafood. Join us for breakfast with a southern flair featuring sweet potato pancakes, biscuits and gravy, and much more. Planning a party? Marsh Landing's private dining rooms can accommodate groups from 8 to 80 people. While you visit, enjoy the historic pictures, artifacts, and stories that line the walls. Marsh Landing is truly a unique experience. Marsh Landing Restaurant, 44 North Broadway in historic downtown Felsmere. Or visit marshlandingrestaurant.com. Marsh Landing, Old Florida cuisine at its best. Welcome back. This is the Science of Magic, dedicated to unification and evolution of consciousness. I'm your host, Gwilda Wiecka. Our guest this hour, Neil Slade, is an author of 10 books on brain behavior, including The Frontal Lobes Supercharge. Neil's website is brainradar.com. Neil, thank you for joining us on the Science of Magic. Right. Nice to be here. What, what got you interested in the brain in the first place? Um. I was studying music, and I had just received a degree in music education. And uh, I was also a composer uh, from very early on. I had been writing music since I was about 13. So I was always looking for ways to improve my creativity and productivity. And uh, one night I was watching our local PBS television station, and there was a documentary on a fellow who ran a uh, brain and behavior laboratory in the wilderness in Colorado and it looked like a very interesting place and people on the in the documentary were talking about um, improved creativity and even things like accessing ESP and so on so I I wrote to this fellow by the name of TD Lingo and uh, uh, soon thereafter went up to the brain lab and it started a 11-year association with the director and I quickly became his uh, assistant, and, and that's how I got into into brain stuff, as it were. Mm. So tell us a little about Colorado's Dormant Brain Research and Development Laboratory. Sure. Well, that was the name that Lingo gave his place. Um, his story was very interesting. He, uh, he had graduated from, <clears throat> he's working on his Ph.D., rather, at the University of Chicago in Brain and Behavior Sciences. And... Uh, <clears throat> He had gotten back from World War II as a soldier and one day asked his professor of neurology, you know, why people went to war. Why, are, why, why is this a problem in human society and culture that we're always going to war with each other? And he asked his professor, and his professor said, well, if there's an answer to that question, it's up here. And he pointed to his own head. He says, if you want to find the answer to that, <clears throat> you can go slow at the university here or you can go fast and start your own research center. So Lingo dropped out of his Ph.D. program and tried to think of a way that he could begin his own brain research laboratory. And his problem was he didn't have any money. <clears throat> so he thought, well, how can I make some money quick? And he thought, well, you know, I know I can play a few chords on the guitar. Maybe if I go into show business, <laughs> I can make some quick <laughs> bucks and then start my place. And that's exactly what he did. And he began singing... I mean, it's a really roundabout way to get around to starting your own brain lab, but that's what he did. And he started singing folk songs around town, and eventually he landed a spot on Groucho Marx's You Bet Your Life television show. And he played the part of a backwoodsman that lived in the woods of Colorado. And you can actually, if you go onto YouTube and if you go to my website or, or you search TD Lingo, Groucho Marx, you can actually see that actual show where he's appearing. <clears throat> and uh, he did very well on Groucho Marx's show, and he won $1,000. Uh, 
And an executive at NBC thought, oh, this guy's a great phony. And he was a phony. He was not really a backwoodsman. He was very well educated. And they gave him his own NBC summer replacement show. Uh, and he had people like Burl Ives and Woody Guthrie and Pete Seeger on the show. And at the end of the summer, he looked into the camera and he says, if anybody's got a mountain to sell, call me up. I want to buy it. And somebody did. Somebody from Colorado did. And thereafter, uh, he, he left New York. He quit show business. He left with two grocery sacks full of money. One he gave to the IRS, and the other one he bought 300 acres of mountain wilderness, 40 miles west of Denver. And that's where he set up his brain lab. Amazing. And so for the next, next 35 years, he conducted uh, people from all over the world, mostly from the United States, however, came and they studied neurology and brain and behavior science. Uh, it kind of like Thoreau. You know, Thoreau lived in the, in the, in the woods, uh, I think in Massachusetts, uh, away from urban society. And that's, that's what Lingo did in the wilderness in Colorado. And, and the lab was located about 9,500 feet in elevation. Uh, there was no running water. There was no electricity. But it, was, it provided sufficient isolation so people could really concentrate on what was going on inside their own craniums. And so they could concentrate on what brain function was all about from a very unique perspective. How much do you, and, think, uh, how much do you think this isolation also helps get us out of the common denominator belief system so that we can explore other options? Oh, it, it's abso- it was absolutely crucial at the brain lab. Because in the city, you, there are all of these distractions. There's cultural conformity. There is competition. And so if you have this silence, this natural environment to where all of these defenses are shut off, you can really get in touch with the, 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 the natural brain and how it really functions. And so this, is, this was really crucial to the work at the brain lab. You know, I've heard all sorts of figures as to what percentages of our brain we really use. What can you tell us about this? Well, there's, there's myths, and not only myths are perpetuated by, uh, you know, common people, but the myths are also perpetuated by so-called experts in, in science and, and the medical field. Now, one of the, there's two things that you hear. One is that we only use 10% of our brain. Well, that's not literally true. And scientists and medical people will come back and say, well, no, you use all of, that's just a myth that you use only 10% of your brain. You actually use all of your brain all of the time. Well, that's also a myth. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So so the problem is there's no real way to gauge how much of our brain that we're using. Um, You know, scientists, we, we have, these days we have very sophisticated um, tools such as functional MRI brain scanners and positive emission tomography brain scanners. And what they show is that the human brain is active throughout, but you also, but the brain scans also show that the amount of activity in the brain varies from one moment to the next. If you used all of your brain all of the time, which is one of the scientific myths, well, these brain scan machines wouldn't work because you just have a steady, full-on signal. What is actually happening, happening is you have areas of the brain that are more active than other areas, some that are relatively inactive. And beyond that, there's no, all you have is a relative scale. You can say this part of the brain is more active than another brain. There's no way to really measure what the potential of the human brain is. And in fact, a Nobel laureate, Sir John Eccles, stated, the potential of the human brain is infinite. He says, we don't know how much the human brain is capable of. And any percentage of infinity is an infinitely small percentage. So to say that we're using 10% of our brain is at the same time too generous, and it's also not generous enough. (laughs) What we do know is 
no one knows how much potential the human brain is capable of. It appears to be infinite. So, uh, uh, you know, uh, the, the, the main idea that people say you only use 10% of our brain, what that, me- what that says is that we have unlimited potential. So whether you're using 1% of your brain or 99% of your brain, it's relatively meaningless because the human brain potential is unlimited. We don't know how much of the brain we use at any given time. So I've got another interesting one for you, Neil. I've also heard that the brain is not just that gray matter in our skull, that it's actually more of our nervous system or even in our auric field. Do you have anything about that? Oh, of course. You know, we have ner- you, your brain is made up of hundreds of billions of neurons. And, um, uh, you know, they say that if you were to add up, and, and scientists say this, if you were to add up the number of possible connections in the cranial portion of the human brain, we're talking about just the part inside your head, the number of possible connections is as many as there are visible stars in the in the visible universe it's as many potential connections as there are literally grains of sand on the earth we're talking about one person's brain now not only do you have neurons that are located in your cranium but you also have neurons that are located in your abdomen and they have a name for this called the enteric nervous system so you have neurons that line the abdominal region and your gut so when people say, well, I have a gut feeling, it's really referring to the neural system, the second brain that's in your solar plexus and surrounding your abdomen. So not only do you think with your head, but you also think with your gut as well, and that's called the enteric nervous system. I've, I've got, I've got a lot of cop friends that would really align with that. <laughs> They're always getting a gut feeling. <laughs> Yes, and what's very interesting is that very often you'll take a, I'm not saying everyone does this, but I'm saying there are medications that affect the neurons in your cranium, that affect your mood and the way you're thinking, and very often that causes a reaction inside your abdomen and inside your digestive system, and that's because you've got these neural bundles that are located in your abdomen as well. So the same medications that affect your brain in your head also affect the brain in your gut as well. Amazing, and we don't even recognize that. As... Well, many people don't, but it's, it's, it's a fairly well-established medical and scientific fact that you really have two brains, as it were. Uh, there's that funny Steve Martin movie, The Man with Two Brains. Well, all of us are actually walking around with two brains, as it were. So the two you mentioned are in the physical body. We've got about a minute left. What about the one in the auric field? Well, you know, that, that's, that's a little harder to substantiate in terms of physical evidence. But, uh, you know, we have a lot of anecdotal e- evidence and anecdotal um, information from people who retain consciousness even though their body may have died on the operating table. So consciousness appears to uh, extend beyond the physical body. Uh, and we know this from stories that, from people who have died on the operating table, who have physically died momentarily or for a short period of time, and then come back and describe reality as seen from this other location of their consciousness that resided outside of their body. Absolutely fascinating, fascinating stuff. We're going to have to take a commercial break, but Neil and I will return to our discussion on the flip side. We're coming to you through the Exxon Broadcast Network. Don't miss the other fine shows and hosts on xzbn.net, and there's a lot of them. <laughs> You're listening to The Science of Magic, thescienceofmagic.net. I'm Gwilda Wiecka. There's more brainstorming to come, so don't you dare go away.
This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. While science pursues fact, magic accesses the quantum level, bridging random facts to form truth. As long as science and magic remain separate and polarized, the truth cannot be known. I'm Gwilda Wiecka. Join me on the Science of Magic radio program, dedicated to unification and evolution of consciousness. During each episode, I'll be speaking with experienced and respected scientists and mystics. From astrologers to astronomers, from medical doctors to shaman, the scientific method to dowsing and intuition, we'll weave together information from seemingly divergent practices to promote unity and enlightenment. Join me, Gwilda Wiyaka, and the Science of Magic right here on the Mutual Broadcast Network. For more information, visit www.thescienceofmagic.net. Gibbs A. Williams, Ph.D., is a practicing psychoanalyst, supervisor, researcher, and author in New York City. Much of his life has been dedicated to understanding nature and the uses of meaningful coincidences or synchronicities. His radical and original non-Jungian, non-mystical, non-magical theory of synchronicities illuminates much of the fog surrounding this challenging and perplexing topic. His ideas and manners are fresh, presented in a style that is both entertaining and highly informative. He is also an expert on crisis intervention, specially focused on violence reduction for the police and citizens, mastering anxiety, frustration, and stress without the use of medication, and effectively preventing and treating heroin addiction. Dr. Williams can be contacted at his email address at gwwilliamsny11 at aol.com or visit his website at Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the X-Zone Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the X-Zone Broadcast Network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan, and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere, 24-7-365. Afterlife expert Roberta Grimes was the first one to say that dying can be fun. Now her best-selling book, The Fun of Dying, is available in stores worldwide. So if you wonder whether death ends life, how it feels to die, or what heaven might be like, The Fun of Dying was written for you. And if you have always been afraid of death, or if you worry that your life has no meaning, let The Fun of Dying ease your fears and bring new meaning to your life. Nothing said in The Fun of Dying is based on the teachings of any religion. Instead, Roberta draws on evidence to explain how death happens, how it feels, and what comes next. A lot of the best death-related evidence was produced in the first half of the 20th century. When it is put together with recent discoveries, it tells a consistent and amazing story. Roberta Grimes blogs and answers questions at robertagrimes.com. Welcome back. This is the Science of Magic, a place where magic and science come together to promote enlightenment. I'm your host, Gwilda Wiecka. Our guest this hour, Neil Slade, is an author of 10 books on brain and behavior, including The Frontal Lobes Supercharge. Neil, let's go a little bit into uh, the brain and the body. So, I, sure. you know, after my head injury, I took up Taekwondo to rehabilitate because I found that the bilateral use of the body and then trying to memorize these patterns was re- really helpful in my rehab. And in the absence of a short-term memory, I had to actually start remembering with my body. So what's the relationship between thinking, memory, and physical movement? 
thinking memories. Well, you know, I, I'm, I'm somewhat familiar, not greatly familiar, with certain exercises that are aids to memory usage. And you're probably more familiar with that kind of thing than I am. Uh, but uh, there are exercises that uh, accentuate uh, the use of uh, cross-channel uh, bilateral movement, as it were, by crossing your arms, for example, and bending at the knees. And for some reason, this, this, the, the use of balancing the left and right parts of the body aids in memory. We're not sure why that is, but the evidence points to balancing uh, left and right muscle uh, usage is an aid to memory. Um, one of the misconceptions that people have in regards to memory is that memories are, as it were, mapped out in the brain, uh, that a memory is located in a specific region of the human brain. And that's not the case. Um, a memory seems to be an interconnection uh, between various areas of the brain. You can stimulate uh, one part, for example, in the uh, uh, olfactory region of the brain, and that will bring up a visual memory uh, and, and vice versa. So it's, it's still kind of a riddle as to where and how memories are stored in the brain. Uh, but then again, uh, there seem to be methods that have been developed that, uh, that help uh, people to retain memory and utilize their, their memory uh, in, in, in different and better ways. You know, um, as a body worker, I, I graduated from the College of Boulder College of Massage. You're probably familiar oh, with it. Oh, from Boulder. So that's yeah. about 30 minutes yeah. from where I'm located. Exactly. Yeah. So um, there was modalities that we'd use where we could actually access emotions and memories in the physical body. Um, are you aware of this? And, and how does that fit in here? Oh, yes. Well, you know what that reminds me of is, is some many incidences have been reported of people who have had um, uh, organ transplants. And one, I'll, I'll give you kind of a, a, a hypothetical example, although there are real examples of this. A person receiving a heart transplant from another person will suddenly find himself having a craving for a certain type of food, for example, that he had absolutely no desire for before the surgery. And investigation would show that the donor of the organ or the heart or whatever it would had the same craving. So memories tend, uh, mem there's, there's very strong evidence that memories are stored throughout the body and uh, not, not necessarily located solely within uh, uh, cranial brain tissue. So that leaves us open to, oh my goodness, what if we start being able to consciously use that capacity? Uh, yeah, you know, I've never really thought about that, but uh, I, I think you're probably right. In, in, in what kind of uh, manner are you suggesting? Well, again, somebody like myself with a head injury, uh, if I can store memory in the physical body versus places I can't get to in my, in my actual brain oh, um, I see what you're and then access them at will, that would really help people rehab, I would think. Yeah, well, you know, in, in the brain, you, you have, you have an a, uh, uh, organ called the hippocampus, and it's a, that comes from, uh, it, it's a little, uh, I, I believe the name came from... Uh, the resemblance of a horse's head. And this is a key area uh, dealing with short-term memory. Now, if there's damage to that area, and that may have been the, the case. You hear my dog squeaking on his toilet, by the way, <laughs> in the background there. That's, uh, that's Chloe there. But anyway, um, if you have damage to that area of the brain, then there, is a, there a, will be an issue with short-term memory storage. Um, and what you're suggesting is that one could consciously uh, guide uh, thoughts and memory uh, by utilizing a different area of the brain and targeting another kind of uh, end run or detour in the neural system to make better use of that uh, 
short-term memory and ultimately long-term memory. And it sounds like that's exactly what you did. <laughs> Unwittingly, unencumbered by any knowledge of what I was doing, right? <laughs> yes, yeah, sure. Well, you know, again, and we talked about that in the previous sec- segment, that we have neurons that are situated not only in the cranium, but in the abdomen. And for all we know, in other parts of the, uh, of the body as well, you know, you have neural tissue or uh, neurons that, that extend through the spinal cord. So it, it would seem uh, very reasonable to suggest that we can store, that we do, in fact, uh, store memories throughout the body. But also it seems reasonable to conclude that you could consciously guide, uh, you know, a storage uh, of memories in, in consciously in selected other parts of the body. You know, perhaps, uh, you know, in uh, like a battery. Uh, you know, it's funny. In, I have a, in my book entitled The Book of Wands, I talk about using jars to consciously store energy uh, and utilizing outside containers, uh, just ordinary containers, to store psychic energy, as it were, and then draw upon that as needed. So, you know, I I think that could very well hold true for storing memories and perhaps even other kinds of uh, neurological and uh, consciousness uh, 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 processes within the body and within the brain. Amazing. Um, On a little different subject, what effect do you think our current educational system has on brain function? Ah, the current ed- well, you know, I I, th- I think that would be hard to generalize because and uh, because there are so many different kinds of teachers and so many different kinds of educational systems. But the one thing I would say, and which is a universal truth in education, has to deal with the manner in which children and even adults are taught information and taught creativity and taught learning, and taught skills. Now, in education, and I I am an educator and do have a a degree in education, there is a a term called downshifting, downshifting, as if you're uh, shifting a gear in an automobile. You can be in a high gear, which allows you to travel fast, but then when you downshift, and go into second gear, first gear, your vehicle moves much slower. Well, educators call this thing downshifting, and it occurs when a student is forced into a defensive mindset. When a student or whoever is trying to learn something feels threatened, when they become defensive, what that does is that reduces their ability to learn new skills and information, and it, and it also impacts their ability to retain information. It makes learning much more inefficient. So there is this connection between feeling threatened and going into defensive posturing that inhibits learning. That's called downshifting. And it's very important because teachers and instructors have this capacity and ability to allow their students to feel uh, comfortable and relaxed and open, or they can cause their students to feel threatened and defensive. And that's connected with uh, this, these two brain states uh, that uh, uh, Dr. Paul McLean outlined in his model of the brain. If you click into your reptile brain, a more primitive brain functions, uh, this inhibits your ability to learn through downshifting. However, if you're allowed to remain in your frontal lobes and feel relaxed and open, that actually accelerates learning and accelerates information uh, retention. So it's very important to both, for teachers especially, to realize if they are having their students click into reptile brain or if they're having their students click into more advanced frontal lobes types of learning. So is reptile brain kind of like when we go into fight or flight, all, all non-essentials are shut down? Yes, uh, that's exactly right. 
let me, and I'll try to keep this brief, let me explain uh, Dr. Paul McLean's model of the brain. Now, this is a very well-known uh, model of the, how the human brain is put together, and it's a very generalized way of looking at the brain. It's a very simplistic way of looking at the brain, but it helps us to understand how the human brain works. Dr. Paul McLean, back in the early 60s, said, well, you know, the human brain is really three brains in one. Uh, you could compare it to the way an apple is put together. Inside the middle of an apple, you have the seeds, and the seeds are what uh, help the apple tree reproduce, and it's the core. It's, it's in the very center of the apple, the seeds. Well, inside our human brain, we have this very primitive structure, which he called the R-complex, or the reptile brain. And it's the part of the brain that helps, uh, base, it, it really computes basic survival, uh, the neurological joke is the reptile brain computes the four F's of human behavior. Feeding, fighting, fleeing, and reproduction. Okay? Those are the four F's. <laughs> now, <laughs> very tactful, very tactful. Yeah, yeah it, it, it's, it, it computes basic survival. It does stuff like regulates uh, body temperature and heart rate, it's all automatic. You don't really think about it. It's, not, it's all in subconscious uh, uh, processing. It helps us uh, to, it, it computes self-defensive and counterattack behavior. Very primitive part. It allows humans to operate on the same level as a, a reptile or a snake, right? Very cold, cold-blooded, cold thinking. That's why he calls it the reptile brain. And it's like the seeds of an apple. Now, around the seeds of an apple, you've got the core, what we call the core. The seeds reside inside the core. Well, inside the human brain, around this reptilian brain, uh, you know, center, there's another portion we're that going he to, calls we're going, to have, we're going to have to leave oh, this okay. on a cliff and pick it up on the other side. All right, we'll do. We'll get <laughs> to the mammal brain after break. Okay, Neil and I will be back shortly, so don't leave us now. This is the Science of Magic, the scienceofmagic.net, the place where altruistic professionals of science and the esoteric create common ground for the betterment of our world. Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the X-Zone Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the X-Zone Broadcast Network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan, and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere, 24-7-365. Founder, President, 
of a new cancer foundation focusing on evidence-based physical, mental, and spiritual interventions, including natural cancer cures, prayer, meditation, affirmations, nutrition, and other related holistic cancer prevention and cure modalities. These are used in cancer education, research, and financing care. I ask for your help to continue this important work by donating at www.holisticcancerfoundation.com. Wouldn't you love to know the secret to everything? Well then, meet Dr. Kimberly McGeorge and her cutting-edge breakthrough knowledge that combines science with possibility. Dr. Kimberly brings real-life answers and healing to those open to alternative solutions. She teaches solution-based programs and classes that will change all areas of your life forever. Specializing in conscious creation, intuitive readings, and energy medicine, you can rapidly shift health, relationships, business, and money and abundance challenges quickly. Receive her best-selling book, Secret to Everything, at no cost by going to secrettoeverything.com forward slash X zone. That's right. Transformation can start now. Just go to secrettoeverything.com forward slash X zone and receive Dr. Kimberly's book for free. What happened in Benghazi is revealed by Nicholas Genix, author of Obama, Islam, and Benghazi. He informs the American people that President Obama deceived them by advocating a strong foreign policy prior to the 2012 presidential election, and Hillary Clinton supported this deception. As the title infers, there is a connection between Obama, Islam, and Benghazi. Ample evidence informs Americans that Obama's early indoctrination in the Quran developed an infinity for Islam, why the Quran is the source of discontent in many countries, and why the Obama foreign policy deception led to poor military action and caused the loss of American lives in Benghazi. Genex provides 36 questions for the Select Committee on Benghazi to validate if Americans are justified to mistrust President Obama and Hillary Clinton. An overview of Obama, Islam, and Benghazi is presented on the website www.futureofgodamen.com. That's www.futureofgodamen.com. You're listening to the X-Zone Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. Welcome back. This is the Science of Magic, bringing together gifted people of service to the world. I'm your host, Gwilda Wiecka, and one of those gifted people of service is our guest this hour, Neil Slade. He's an author of 10 books on brain and behavior, including Frontal Lobes Supercharge. Neil, you were telling us about the structure of the brain. We'd just gotten through the reptilian, and we were moving out. Sure. I'll be very quick here, because I know we're limited in time. Well, around this reptilian center of the brain, you have another layer of brain. It's called the mammal brain. And if you look at the structures of the brain, what that adds is social behaviors and nurturing. You know, reptiles lay their eggs and split. Kids, you're on your own. Mammals, on the other hand, nurture and raise their young. And mammals interact with each other. So that's what this second layer of the brain does, like around the core, uh, the core around the seeds of an apple. And then you've got the big juicy part of the apple and the skin, and that's the delicious part that we love to eat and which is very tasty. Well, you have this third layer of brain, which covers this mammal brain and reptilian brain core, and the frontal lobes, the whole front part of the brain. And that's where all the advanced traits and functions and processes of the human brain resides. And that's also where things like ESP and intuition and all of, uh, you know, like telekinesis and telepathy and uh, clairvoyance, that's where all these functions uh, are coming from is this more advanced part of the brain. So an individual can consciously learn how to click out of these pure reptilian types of reactions and into this more conscious, more cooperative, more creative, more intelligent part of the brain. It's all a matter of consciously guiding energy out of 
being stuck in this reptilian fight-or-flight counterattack processes and expanding the consciousness into the other parts of the brain. And any person can, can easily guide this energy forward as easy as clicking on a light switch on the wall. And that's what my website is basically about, is showing people how to click their amygdala, which is a part of the brain, forward into advanced frontal lobes processes and energy. Our guest this hour is Neil Slade, author of 10 books on brain and behavior, including The Frontal Lobes Supercharged. Neil's website is brainradar.com. So, Neil, this brings me to a subject very near and dear to my heart, and that has to do with brain function and ESP. How does that work? Well, you know, when you talk about ESP, you're talking about advanced brain processes. And there is a very distinctive link between... Uh, uh, these types of esoteric, uh, paranormal, we call them paranormal, but they're actually a normal function of the human brain, uh, these types of functions and processes, and its relationship to front, uh, reptilian behavior and frontal lobes behavior. Things like cooperation and empathy are actually physically uh, phys- processes that happen physically in the forward part of the brain, in what's called the frontal lobes, the most forward part of your brain that sits right behind your forehead. And there is a relationship when people are clicked into this reptilian type of processes, such as self-defense, counterattack, me, me, me types of consciousness. When you're stuck thinking about only yourself, when you're only concerned with your own well-being, this automatically shuts off access to all of these advanced skills such as telepathy and precognition and so and ESP. These types of processes only happen when you open yourself up and think in a cooperative, uh, empathetic type of uh, uh, thinking process. So if you're stuck battling with someone, with fighting with someone, all of these advanced functions shut down. Only when you relax and embrace the universe that exists outside yourself are you able to access all of these highly advanced uh, types of processes and behaviors and perceptions. So So that's why it's important to click forward out of reptilian brain and into the frontal lobe so you can think with these advanced processes. And that's probably why the systems at large like to keep us in the reptilian brain all in fight or flight. (laughs) Exactly right. You know, when you look at the political process, uh, you know, people who want to retain power, they don't want you using these advanced uh, processes of the brain. So they try and they effectively keep mass population in fear so that you really don't think about what is going on so that they retain control through these methods of instilling fear in the population. So how do we use the brain in precognition? I mean, I'm precognizant a lot of the time, so I know it exists, but I'm not sure what the function is there. Do you have some, well, some way you, of enlightening us here? Sure. Yeah, well, you know, there's actually a very interesting, you, you have this feedback emotional system within the brain, and this is the most important and helpful thing to know. When you are stuck in your reptile brain, when you are stuck in this very primitive, very fundamental, rudimentary types of processes, your brain gives you negative emotional feedback. If you think about when you are uh, in a combative mood, when you're in a self-defense mood, when you're fighting, you automatically feel negative emotions. Okay? So there is this association between limited consciousness limited problem solving. The reptile brain cannot solve long-term problems. It cannot serve complex problems. It's very limited. Snakes and turtles are not particularly good at solving anything but short-term problems. Well, when you feel negative emotions, that is your brain telling you that you are stuck in reptile brain. On the other hand, when your frontal lobes, when the most advanced part of your brain is turned on, the part of the brain that allows complex, long-term problem-solving, your brain rewards you with positive emotion. 
And the reason it does this is because your, your nature wants you to survive. So what it tells you is, uh, listen, when you use more of your brain, when you use more of your potential, when you, you, when you are able to solve complex problems in long terms, I'm going to reward you because I want you to survive, so I'm going to make you feel good. Okay? So simply by monitoring your emotional state, that will tell you whether you're using only a little bit of your potential, whether you're stuck in this primitive part of your brain, or if you're using much more of your potential and if you're using more advanced part of your brain because you will be given positive emotional feedback. So simply by monitoring your, your emotions, you can say, hey, I'm stuck in my reptile brain, or yes, I'm using my, my full potential. It's very interesting. If you look at the, the volume of your brain, Less than 10% of your brain matter is dedicated to this reptilian part of your brain. You only need a small part, portion of your brain. The other 90% of your brain volume, as it were, is, consists of this frontal lobes and the primate brain and this much more advanced part of your brain. So if you want to use more of your brain, pay attention to your emotional feedback system and try to stay in those states which make you feel good. It's wonderful. If you want to use more of your brain, you should be make your do what makes you feel good and avoid those situations and behaviors that make you feel bad. It's a wonderful tool that nature has provided us with this instant emotional feedback system that guides us as to whether we're using just a little bit of our brain, that 10% reptile brain, or the other 90% of our primate brain and frontal lobes. We have about two minutes left. What can you tell us about remote viewing and perceiving things at a distance with the brain? Well, you know, we did a very interesting experiment uh, about a year and a half ago, or maybe it was about two years ago, and you can, anyone can read about this. The website is called Music4ESP, and you can use the, digit, the, uh, the number four, Music Numeral 4 ESP. And we had people that were consciously clicking their amygdala forward and turning on the more advanced part of their brain. And what would happen is people would spontaneously experience this, these kinds of remote viewing uh, processes. They would find themselves out of their body and not only experience remote types of viewing, but have precognitive experiences, have telepathic experiences, uh, the whole gamut of paranormal experiences effortlessly, spontaneously, just by clicking out of the reptile brain and tickling forward into this more advanced part of the brain. Remote viewing and all of these these so-called paranormal processes are actually normal processes of the human brain as long as we can actually uh, access them. And it's easy for any person to do. And as I said before, it's as easy as clicking on a light switch as long as you learn a few basics about how the human brain is put together and learn a few basics about how to tickle your brain out of reptile brain, and into your frontal lobes. It's all natural and part of how your human brain works. You were born with these abilities, and every person has them, and they're very easy to access. This has been absolutely wonderful. I'm so sorry that we're running out of time. Neil, thank you so much for being on The Science of Magic with us. It's been fascinating. Well, you're very welcome, and perhaps we can talk another time. I would love that. Our guest this hour has been Neil Slade, author of 10 books on brave and behavior, including The Frontal Lobes Supercharge. Neil's website is brainradar.com. This has been The Science of Magic. Don't forget to join us on the next episode of Science of Magic. Until next time, dear ones, may you be blessed with knowledge and comforted with love as you engage your brain. <laughs>